Well, good evening. It's a privilege to be with you all again. I'm delighted uh, to have the opportunity. Uh, it's good to um, be with you and also to preach God's Word. Let's uh, look to Him in prayer before we read God's Word from Daniel chapter 10. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. But Lord, we pray that You would uh, give us understanding, cause us to know Your Word inwardly, to digest it, that it might have its way with us. We pray, O oh Lord, that You would do it for our good and for Your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. We're in Daniel chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, and we'll go through 11, verse 1. And you would uh, stand together as we read uh, God's holy word. <clears throat> In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute, and behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O oh, my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. And one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O oh, man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. As he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? 
But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. As far the inerrant, holy, fallible word of God, may give his blessings to this reading of it. Please be seated. There are a lot of wonderful uh, portions of Daniel. You might be familiar with some of the more famous ones, we might say, in the earlier portions of uh, the first six chapters and describing to us uh, Daniel and his friends, as we call them, and what life was like for them in Babylon, not only under Nebuchadnezzar, but ongoingly under various uh, rulers uh, who would um, uh, oppose them in uh, various ways. Life would be difficult. Life would be hard living in Babylon in a time of exile and uh, Daniel, no doubt, uh, with them, was meant to be encouraged and was meant to proclaim the Word of God during that time of exile. Uh, and a trial it was indeed. And in those first six chapters, you, you get the idea of Daniel and his daily life and what his commitments were and his friends and wonderful portions. And then in chapter 7 begin the, the visions that sometimes seem strange to us. And yet, it's a good reminder that they no doubt were not meant to confuse, though we might be confused sometimes by them, not understand every detail. They were meant to be a, a great encouragement to Daniel and those living in those days, anticipating, waiting on a promise, looking in faith to the Lord, trusting Him to walk by faith and not by sight. It was difficult, and so the visions are given uh, as sometimes difficult as they are, especially as you come to chapter 9 and you begin to wonder about the, all these uh, weeks of sevens and periods of time and what is it all pointing to. It's a reminder to Daniel and to those living in exile, to, his, to God's faithful people, that the Lord is faithful to His promises. He will deliver and He keeps His promise to the very end. And chapter 10 is no different in that regard. Chapter 10, this vision as the ESV gives it a heading, it's vision of a terrifying man. There's more to it than that. Uh, it's meant to communicate something to Daniel and to others living in the time. And towards the end there, you can see as a response to this, <clears throat> this vision, Daniel is uh, wiped out. He's, uh, his strength is zapped. There's no strength left in him. And it's part of the process of God who would strengthen His people and be the strength of His people, wanting to show Him all of these things and say all of these things to Him in a time of great turmoil still, even though this is in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Uh, you might recall that it was the, the first year of Cyrus that the decree was given to go back, for the people of God to go back to Jerusalem. And here it's the third year, and Daniel seems to still be. He is still in the land of Babylon or Persia, and he's, he's still there, has not gone back. And there's trouble. Something is troubling him. And chapter 10 would show us 
something bigger, something greater to encourage Daniel and to encourage God's people. That's the, the point that he's saying. And you see him coming to that very point in verse 19 as this angel would articulate those things to him. We have something to be greatly encouraged by, don't we? Uh, as we conclude one year, begin another, we think about those kinds of things. Maybe this is not exactly a, a text you think of uh, to start the year off, Daniel chapter 10, but it is a great one to remind us of some great truths that Daniel is hearing, and it's the Lord strengthening a servant by revealing His Word to him, by assuring him of His presence, and by reaffirming His love to His servant, to His people. And I think along those lines, you see three things in the text. And there's, first of all, a, a great conflict. It's in the context of a great conflict. In fact, it's a word that is revealed to Daniel in verse 1. This word being true, it was a great conflict, it says. And Daniel understood the word and had understanding of the vision. There's a little bit of, um, I guess, question mark is... Uh, the latter portions of this, of this the, the word that is given to him and the, that is the great conflict, or is he thinking about something prior? Um, I, I think both might be in view. There's no doubt that there is a conflict going on as you read in the book of Ezra, and spe specifically Ezra chapter 4, that there's great opposition to the work of God, so that there have been these bands who have gone back over. And uh, you may be familiar with those, uh, those texts. Greatly frustrating to the people of God. Greatly discouraging as people, the people in the, in the, the town itself, but also the government coming against them and uh, opposing them. This great conflict that is um, in view, I think, is partly to do with that. It's perhaps something of, of a, a reminder of a conflict that Daniel has internally with all of this going on. Certainly you see that from uh, former chapters, Daniel wrestling and struggling. But it's, a, it's this word that is given that's true. That word itself was a conflict internally, but I think it's about a great conflict that Daniel is being told in the, in the, the latter portions of this text, but also is he thinking about Ezra chapter 4 and all of that. Um, Daniel is in Babylon and there's maybe... Uh, question marks as to, to why. Is he too old? Is he uh, trying to make way for Ezra and Nehemiah to, to do that? It's speculation. The text doesn't tell us. The fact is he's remained back and he's received this word of great conflict and the Lord is here to encourage him. Daniel was a man who, of course, loved the Bible. He's been studying in uh, the previous chapter. He's been studying the book of Jeremiah, he's been studying the, the Bible and praying accordingly. And he loves the church here in this text. He's clearly praying for the people, the people of God and all that's going on there. And he's mourning and he's wrestling in prayer. And you can, you can see that idea in verses 1 through 3. Daniel is mourning for three weeks, eating no delicacies, no meat or wine entered his mouth, not anointing himself for the, for the full three weeks. I, I think there's also a connection there back to chapter 1 when they are first taken into exile. And it's there that Daniel vowed as he made this deal with uh, um, the, the, the keeper, the, the guard. And he's saying, don't give me the king's food or wine to drink. Just bring me vegetables and we'll do a test. And the Lord 
honored that. Uh, but it was Daniel, uh, as in here, as here, he's not, it's not a complete fast, but there's some signal, isn't there? He's not eating these delicacies or the, the meat or wine. And he's, and he's saying no to some things as a, as a great reminder. This world is not his home. It belongs to a, another kingdom. It's what God's people, I think, must be reminded of again and again. That this world is not our home. We, we belong to another. We're not of this world, our Lord would say. Though we are in it, we're not of it. And like the, the saints that are listed in Hebrews 11, having, having eyes of faith set upon a, a better country, a heavenly one. Their eyes always forward. And, and Daniel, I think, is engaged in that, seeing the conflict that's going on, hearing word of it, of course, and getting a greater glimpse of what's actually going on behind what's happening in Ezra chapter 4. This great spiritual warfare happening, this great conflict, and he's praying in regards to it. There's opposition to the work of God, and it's un, undoing Daniel. He's, he's mourning and fasting because of it, being reminded that this world is not his home. And I think we certainly ought uh, to remember that and need to be reminded of that. It's easy, isn't it, as John would urge us not to love this world. 1 John 2, 15-17, don't, don't love this world or the things of the world. That we would be mindful of the temptations, the, the lust of the eyes and of the flesh and the pride of possessions. There's a great tendency, isn't there? to forget what's going on and to, to get bogged down and to, to live as though we, we, we belong to this world. Live as though this is forever. And it's not the case. It's not true. And he's recognizing being, being revealed this word that is true. Isn't it remarkable? Isn't it encouraging? In fact, we, we don't often think of the truth being a, a great conflict. And yet, it's why Jesus would tell His disciples this very thing. As followers of Me, you will be hated in this world. There is going to be opposition. It's, it's a, a reminder all the way back to the garden when God said in Genesis 3.15 to the devil, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. And there's enmity. There's great warfare going on. There's conflict and opposition again and again. And and in some ways, while that might not sound encouraging, Jesus would say to His disciples, when these things start happening, you remember that I told you. And it's to help you to stand firm and not to grow weary and faint-hearted in this world. When we begin to think about the state of the church and all that's happening in this life, and as we rightly should pray, and, and uh, Paul would tell us, as would Peter, but we are reminded to pray for civil servants and to pray for our government and rulers. Um, and it's a reminder, though, that there is a, a great conflict going on. It's not just uh, outward politics happening. There's opposition to the work of God. Opposition to, as we find in Psalm 2, isn't it? Opposition to the King. And we preach the gospel and call sinners to repentance and faith and call them to, to bow the, the knee to the King of Kings. 
to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they might be saved. It's, it, is, it is warfare. There's a great conflict going on that we must understand and not be aloof to. It's why, it's why the Apostle Paul would say it the way he says it in Ephesians 6 that I'll circle back around to. But it's a reminder, a firm reminder in, in everything we do. He's talked about all kinds of things the Apostle Paul has in Ephesians. Even marriage. And he comes and he says, in all of that, you be reminded that you, there's armor you need to put on. There's warfare. There's an evil one prowling around, Peter would say, seeking to devour. That's not to put us in terror constantly, but to remind us what we wake up to and what we're doing in this life and a reminder of what is really going on in this world. A great conflict. It's the troubled times that were referred to earlier. And you can go back and read Ezra 4 and uh, following and read of all those things. Daniel is reminding us and helping us to remember the world we live in, the great opposition that we have, uh, the, the battle that rages. It's, it's a, a warfare that we need to be reminded of because we are prone to forget. It's why, it's why the Apostle Paul would say in Colossians that we ought to set our minds on things above and to seek those things above where Christ is. And not to love the things of this world that are passing away. We have, as the, as the church has articulated uh, for uh, a long time, of course, we have enemies, don't we, that are naturally categorized as the, the world and the flesh and the devil. You think about our great enemies that, that never sleep. It's why John Owen would say we must always be putting sin to death killing sin. It'll always be killing us or seeking to. Uh, that's why the author of Hebrews says it that way, to, to, to cast off things, those things that hinder and the, the weights uh, that weigh us down, the sin that so easily entangles and run the race with endurance. It's a need for that always. It's great opposition to Christ, to His work, to His people. Isn't that why it's hard to pray? It, it's not an easy task. And we know very well the, the famous quote that if you want to humble someone, ask them about their prayer life, and you can begin with the minister. Uh, there's need to be humbled, in fact, but uh, there's need to pray. And Daniel here, I think, is teaching us of the, the, the war that we're in. And that's why Paul would say, after you've put on all the armor, pray. Pray a lot. Pray always, in fact. Not just in Ephesians, he says it, but you find that everywhere you turn, the Apostle Paul is encouraging you to pray. Pray for him and pray for an open door and pray for the Lord to open his mouth and to preach the gospel. We need to pray, don't we? We need to pray more, not less. Not as, a, not as some works kind of thing that we do, um, but as those who trust God and trust His promises in Christ who promised to build His church despite all the opposition. There's war, isn't there? William Gurnall in the Christian in Complete Armor talks about that, that very war. And he says at the end, the, the, uh, excuse me, in the beginning, he says the whole world is engaged in the quarrel, either for God against Satan or for Satan against God. Spiritual warfare, as we call it, as we say. We need to pray 
It's a call to, to prayer. That's what Daniel is doing there in verses 1 through 3. He's praying, wrestling in it. Jesus, of course, taught His people to pray, taught them about spiritual warfare and the weapons that we use. Jesus, you remember, was a man of prayer Himself. And right even now, the Bible is describing Jesus as one who intercedes for us even now. Presently intercedes for us. And we find, of course, in Hebrews 5, uh, verse 7, a description of uh, the author of Hebrews saying of Jesus that He, while on earth, He prayed supplication, prayers with tears and loud cries, and He was heard because of His reverence. That spirit is in Daniel here, a man who's praying in that way. Jesus would teach us to pray. Remember when, when Jesus, as He's gone up to the Mount of Transfiguration and He's revealed a bit of His glory, He's sort of peeled back the veil a little bit and revealed something to them. And then they come back and they descend down into the darkness. And disciples are there arguing about things or they're being fussed at because they can't deliver. They can't cause the demons to go away. And, and Jesus reminds them of prayer, their need to pray. Now we need to be a people who are constantly praying. Martin Luther famously said that as it is the business of cobblers to make and mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. Now the Bible is always urging us, encouraging us to pray as we recognize the, the spiritual warfare that's around us, as we think about raising children, as we think about going uh, to work, as we think about uh, all the things that we do as God's people and live in this world, it's a reminder of, of prayer and the need to pray. And here Daniel is being, I think, through this uh, word of truth, this word that was true of this great conflict, he's being, in fact, uh, stirred up to pray. The Lord would do that for His people. I think we need to be reminded of that great conflict uh, ongoing even today that our Lord and Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus would tell us that we're engaged in and would tell us to pray, would teach us to pray. He's taught us the Lord's Prayer not just to say as a mantra, but to, to enact and to be a people who, who pray. The, the Puritans would often refer to it and use the language of praying down heaven. It's easy, isn't it, to be caught up in things that, uh, that are to be fooled into thinking that what we need is a church, more methods and better programs and things that are flashy and glamorous. The Lord would say, no, here's something that I'm calling you to, something that I want you to do, something that I've given to you, and open up a throne of grace for you to, to pray, um, to pray often it. It highlights something, doesn't it? The, the greatness of God, which you see secondly here, this great trembling that occurs in Daniel in verses 4 through 9, or 4 through 10 even. Uh, this uh, trembling that's happening here, this, this vision that he's uh, shown is, is something that, is, that, that wipes him out, uh, sends him to the floor and he's breathless. Who wouldn't be? Uh, there's question marks. Who is this? Uh, heavenly being? Is it a pre-incarnate uh, form of Christ? There are some who say that. They're, they're, 
I would list you some commentators who say that, but if you think that, you're in good company, Matthew Henry uh, among them. Um, Calvin would say, no, this is an angel, and, and on and on. There are, there are various views on it. Is, is this uh, one uh, heavenly uh, emissary or two? I, 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 think it's, I think it's one. I think the text would indicate to us that this is an angel. It's possibly Gabriel, but an angel, a heavenly being sent from God to encourage and strengthen Daniel, but no doubt uh, resplendent and majestic, having been in, uh, in heaven and uh, surrounded and reflecting the glory of God, no doubt. But it's meant, isn't it, to assure Daniel of something about God and communicate something to him of those things. I won't bog you down in all the details. I think this is an angel in the same way, in the same uh, idea as I, I think of Ezekiel chapter 1 uses some of the language here. The reason people say this is possibly pre-incarnate Christ is because of Revelation 1 in that language, but I think it's more likely a servant uh, as an angel according to Hebrews 1, 7, and thinking of that idea. But still, nonetheless, to communicate something to Daniel about God and about God's presence with His people. That, that Daniel might be overwhelmed on purpose. You, you think, wait a minute, Daniel is clearly distraught. He's, he's been um, fasting while presumably, this is the time, by the way, when the people of God would normally be feasting, Passover celebration and unleavened bread, and they would be feasting. And Daniel is fasting, and, and he's in a weakened condition already, and now uh, this heavenly being is uh, appearing to him. And he's now undone even more. He, he is, he's actually breathless, falling to the ground several times. This is a, a normal response that you see elsewhere in the Bible when angels appear. And it's not like our uh, cute little um, um, ornaments and things like that with wings, is it? Uh, it's meant, though, to humble him even further, to bring him to the dust, to zap him of his strength. And that's why it's a reminder as... As Paul would say, the Apostle Paul was reminded of the same things, that when we are weak, he is strong. And it's a reminder that there is no strength in man. We don't need to resort and try to think about our own, um, our own um, ways and that we're going to prosper everything in the work of the church by our own wisdom and strength. Oh, how often we need to be humbled and reminded it is not our strength, in fact, that upholds the church that advances the cause. I know it's the Lord Himself who will do it, who has promised as the Lord Jesus, the one who shed His blood for His people, promised, I will build My church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's our hope and our strength. Not in great programs and wonderful things that we do to pat ourselves on the back, to show the world how great we are. And isn't it, isn't it so... Uh, easy to get caught up as the people of God, as a church, into thinking like the world, and to think that we have to tickle ears or impress people or impress the world so that they'll come in and flood in, and, and God says no. That's why Paul says, we have this treasure, don't we, in jars of clay, that God might be exalted. The power might be clearly shown to be His. So it's the foolishness of preaching. It's a people who are 
praying. It's to use our lingo as Presbyterians, isn't it? It's the outward and ordinary means of grace. God, of course, is not bound to those things as our catechism rightly says. Those are the outward and ordinary means He uses. In the larger catechism, it says to, for the, the, the gathering and perfecting, and the confession uh, says the same, for the gathering and perfecting of the saints is what God uses, is how He works, and we ought to commit ourselves to it and think of that. And that's what this vision is for. It's to remind Him of those things. And in fact, it's more than that. It is communicating something of the presence of God while Daniel is remembering what's going on in Ezra 4 and all the opposition. And it seems like the work has come to a screeching halt. He's, he's overwhelmed. And the Lord is showing him something bigger in that very time. It seems that the, the work, the progress has stopped. He's greatly discouraged and he's showing him something better, something bigger, something to really... Fear, and in, in, in that way, uh, as we say, the, the good kind of fear, fearing the Lord and teaching Him uh, a, a better kind of trembling, a better kind of fear, to, to cast His gaze upon the Lord, to cast His gaze upon what the Lord is doing, and the Lord who is with His people, the Lord who is working and working behind the scenes. There's something greater going on, even though there seems to be opposition and the, the thing coming to a screeching halt. No, the Lord is still at work. And that's what this is doing. It's good for us. It's why, it's why the author of Hebrews says to run the race with endurance and keeping your eyes fixed on the author and finisher of your faith. Paul would say, set your mind on things above Seek those things above where Christ is seated. It's easy, isn't it, to forget. Daniel, though he saw the vision alone, was, was not alone. Um, you remember the, the text in Mark chapter 4 when Jesus is in the boat with His disciples. And Mark uses the same kind of lingo of describing these great things that are happening. It was a, a great storm and then a great calm when Jesus... Uh, woke up and he made the wind and the waves obey. And then, Mark says, they, I think the, the Greek is literally, they feared a great fear. There was something there being communicated to the disciples that the one in the boat with them was greater than wind and waves. He's God in the flesh, God with them, in fact. That's why the psalmist would say, God is with me. I, I, I shall fear no man. And, and it's a constant reminder of that. It's a reminder that our Savior has promised to, to be with His people, to be with us, that we not fear. How often, how often did Jesus, upon His resurrection, was appearing to the disciples? And rightly, they are startled and He says to them, peace. It's almost His first words to them so often. Peace. And you see in verse 19, this same language. He said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. I think there's this idea of the Lord here through this vision, even though He's bringing Daniel to His knees and flattening him out, so to speak, to actually encourage him, 
that he should fear God more than the world, more than trembling before the world, and all of its nastiness and all of its opposition. There is one who is greater to fear, who is making his work advance, and not all the powers of hell will prevail against it. And there's good news that the Lord of glory is doing His work, and we can trust Him. And there's a last thing to see here, a last great thing, a third great thing, a great love that's articulated here in those last verses. Verse, verse 10, beginning in verse 10, all the way to the end of the chapter. The Lord strengthening Daniel by revealing His Word and assuring him of His presence and reaffirming His love to him. This is not the first time Daniel's heard this. In fact, he heard it in chapter 9. And Gabriel has come to him. And Gabriel is saying, I, I've, I've come in response to your prayer. In fact, he's come, he's come swiftly in flight at the time of the evening sacrifice, chapter 9, verse 21. And then in chapter 9, verse 23, there's that same phrase, you are greatly loved. And Daniel seems to need to hear that a lot. We can often think that, uh, I, I don't need to hear it that often, really. No, Daniel needed it reaffirmed in his life. Um, I think uh, probably one of the, the biggest themes, if not the biggest theme, of course, in the, the Bible, you have that idea of the love of God. It's everywhere. And how often you find that phrase being said to the people of God, of, of the love of God and the reaffirmation of that. And wherever you land on who this uh, this being is that appeared to Daniel. The, again, notice the, the phraseology there. A, a man, one in the likeness of the children of man, one having the appearance of man, touching with a hand and the closeness of it all. Something to communicate condescending grace and love towards Daniel to greatly encourage him. That's what all of that was for. That's what it was meant to do. And here, twice in the text... Oh, Daniel, you are a man greatly loved. Not just a little bit, but abundantly so. Greatly loved. Isn't that why, isn't that why John would marvel at it and tell us to marvel at it? Behold, what manner of love. What manner of love that we should be called the children of God. It's a marvelous thing, isn't it? To be loved by God. And it's not, the, it's not um, something that's to be the... Uh, the, the subject of sappy uh, songs and Hallmark movies. It's the love of God for us that never ends, from which we can never be separated. It's a love that's been demonstrated in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul would say. And it was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. And He's demonstrated such a great love for us. It is overwhelming and marvelous. That ought to overwhelm us and shock us, in fact. But it's meant to encouraged. That's why he says, and he said this to him twice again, verse 12 and verse 19, fear not, Daniel. He's clearly struggling with fear in this world of opposition and trial and trouble. And we do the same thing, don't we? We hear the news and we hear of Russia and Ukraine and all the things going on in our political landscape. All this great conflict and war going on. And in the midst of it all, there's this Phrase reverberating in his ears, in his heart. Fear not, you're greatly loved. Isn't that what we need to hear? Isn't that what the Bible presses home to us again and again? 
of God's great love for us. That's why, that's why Paul puts it the way he does in Ephesians 6. That we should be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might and praying and praying at all times and keeping alert, encouraging us to trust in the Lord, the one who loves us, greatly loves us. We see it demonstrated to us again and again. We have it reiterated to us over and over again because we are prone, aren't we, to forget. And we see the trouble. We see we have, we have problems in the home. We have problems in our life. We have health problems. We have financial problems. We have, uh, we have trouble in churches. And, and it seems that our, our society is getting worse and worse. The opposition seems to be worse and worse all the time. And it's good for us to remember that all is under control. There is one who rules over all. There is a, a, a king on the throne, greatly loves his people and would reiterate, remember how Jesus would reiterate to his disciples and to the people, fear not, little flock. It is your father's desire to give you the kingdom. To to uphold and to advance and protect and guide and guard. And he says in that, it's, there's something freeing about that. That's why he's saying that to Daniel. You're greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. And what is the admonition? Be strong and of good courage. That's what's needed, isn't it? We remind ourselves of the great love of God for us in Christ Jesus. A love that is everlasting. A love with which, from which we cannot be separated. It's why... Paul would uh, conclude in Romans 16 that great promise that the God of peace would soon crush Satan under your feet. And then he would say, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Why? It's a reminder, isn't it? The grace of God, the love of God, His, His, His reaffirmation of His great love, the promise of His Word that He will soon crush Satan. So we should be those who remember His Word and His presence among us, His great love for us, and pray on. Isn't that a, a, a reminder for us in Daniel chapter 10? To see Daniel praying, it's an encouragement. All of these things are an encouragement to pray and to pray on, to wrestle on and fight, to be alert as Christ would say to us again and again. For there is one who is victorious, the Lord Jesus Christ, who encourages us in every way with His everlasting love. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for such marvelous truths and such wondrous love for us. Oh, how we thank You for it and pray that You would encourage us in it. Help us to be those who continuously pray, being, being encouraged in it, that we belong to a kingdom that is everlasting. We are loved with a love that is everlasting. Oh Lord, help us. Give us great encouragement, strength, and peace to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name.